2: Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Blog. James, goodly morning to you. I am jacked up on coffee and ready to go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good to to hear it. And I enjoyed that new intro as well. A little spin on the show.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Chris Hollis, who's at C. Hollis, and Matt Seitz, who's at Matt Sites, for sending that through to us. Uh, I think the channel was Univision uh, in the U.S., um, and uh, they really got into the spirit of things. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the celebration, the goals, all of that is going to come up, I'm sure, uh, a little bit later on in the show, so we'll leave it for there, but uh, enjoyable intro. So thank you to those guys uh, for sending that through. So... We're into the quarterfinals of the Europa League, James. Uh, two rounds in succession, we've lost our opening
1: leg and won the uh, won the second leg at home. I know we've overcome the odds once again and beaten one of Europe's giants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no look, I, I think you know. It, we, you would expect us to beat Ran over two legs, but given how difficult we made it for ourselves, really, after the first leg, it is a really good achievement to have you know, got through and mm. kept a clean sheet. I mean, every time I sort of calculated how we might get through the second leg, I was like, well, obviously they'll score at least one, so we'll need four. Um, so I think in some ways the clean sheet is sort of the most surprising and most pleasing element. I always thought we could score goals against them Uh, but them not scoring goals against us felt like less of a sure thing.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, I get that. And I can see why there's that fatalistic view about how we defend and how often we concede and everything else. But I sort of thought based on the first 40 minutes of the first leg, when we played Mm -hmm. 11 versus 11, that they weren't really that threatening at all. You know, they didn't trouble us in any significant way. So I figured as long as we could keep it 11 versus 11, we were going to have the upper hand in this game and they were going to find it hard to to break us down. I mean, I think the fact that they spent most of the game concentrating on being... Um,
1: Actors, to get our guys sent
2: off. Yeah, you know the play acting, the lying around, the uh, all the bits and pieces that went with that. I mean, if they put as much effort into playing football as they did into that stuff, we might have had a few more problems with them. But as it was, it was only really late in the game, wasn't it, when Ben Arfa went on a a couple of runs, he sort of decloaked himself from being the invisible man, uh, probably spending all his time looking at Unai Emery to see what kind of a a facial expression he had on during the game, rather than play football. You know, then they they caused a few moments of danger, but until then I don't think they really had an awful lot to trouble us, so, you know, the, the clean sheet didn't necessarily surprise me. It was welcome, and we haven't often kept two in a row this season, but But, uh, you know, I don't think it was that, you know, out uh, out of the ordinary based on the opposition.
1: No, I mean, there were a couple of hairy moments. I think, you know, they hit the post, didn't they, at the start of the second Mm. half. Uh, And I thought uh, there was a sort of awkward period in the game, you know, where once we went 2-0 up, I felt like it was kind of, we almost didn't know how to approach it. And they were kind of liberated by that, by the fact they sort of knew they had to go and get a goal. But, yes, I mean, for the most part, they are not very good against 11 men. I don't think they scored, did they, over the course of the, the two ties? So rubbish. I think that probably tells you something.
2: Yeah, they're rubbish.
1: They're rubbish. <laughs> That's what it tells
2: me. Um, I mean, they weren't happy with a few of the decisions. We might touch on those in, in a few moments. But uh, the team selection, not a surprise to me um, I mm. thought he would do exactly what he did in that he kept the same system as the team that beat Manchester United brought Mustafi in for for Socrates because he really had no other choice we don't have any other central defenders to fill that gap Mavropanos um, people were, were um, online and on Twitter and stuff last night going why isn't he playing Mavropanos and Mavropanos is not in our Europa League squad that's the main reason why he wasn't playing mm. him uh, you know the fact he's that been he's been injured as well and he's been yeah. injured and you know isn't ready yet that could be another significant part of it but you know first and foremost he's not eligible to play in the Europa League so we can leave that to one side Um, Petr Cech in goal for Bernd Leno Uh, again I don't know why anybody was surprised at that and you know we went at them with the same kind of um, vigour that we went at United and obviously it paid off with the two early goals
1: yeah I mean it was the perfect start really wasn't it and exactly what we needed as soon as that first goal mm. went in from Aubameyang I was like here we go like, you know and the whole crowd sort of lit up it, everyone sensed okay this is on the cards now we've got a real chance to do this and I think Emery sensed it on the touchline as well judging by his, his celebration and uh, yeah it was. It, that was a, a nice goal was it Aaron Ramsey with the pull back from yep. yeah
2: Maitland Niles down the right played it into Aaron Ramsey who swivelled on it and, and played a ball to the near post quite how he got it through that many legs I don't know but
1: um, yeah, he, he created more chances, I think, than any other Arsenal player, Aaron Ramsey, even though he's playing in a deeper role, um, which shows you something about, A, kind of his legs and how he manages to travel into the box from a deeper position, Yeah, but just B, the kind of impact he can have. I mean, it is kind of weird, isn't it, watching him now almost flourishing in this sort of second half of the season and knowing that he's he's off. But I guess we just got to accept it, that. It is a bit bittersweet. You know, yeah, it, it is. really is
2: because um, you know at last Emery has found a way to get him into the team and to to get him focused uh, on doing what he's really good at. And of course, he's going to be gone in uh, he's going to be gone in in June, uh, which is sad. But I think we should just take a moment to uh, blame that baldy wanker Ivan Gazetas I think it would be right and proper for us to do that. Uh, yeah. That's probably the appropriate way to, to exactly. It. Exactly, it's the mature, sensible way to uh, to handle that kind of heartbreak, James. Um, okay, so we then get a, a second goal. You can understand why Wren were unhappy. Uh, it was very much because it was offside. offside. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was completely and utterly offside. But I think, having watched the the replays of it, I really think that the linesman was looking at Kalasinac, who was really, really, really offside. And when Yang made a move to the ball, I guess he figured that he was just coming from a deeper position than he actually was.
1: Yeah, and actually watching it, I mean, admittedly, I was behind the goal, so it wasn't the best angle on it. That's kind of how I thought it had happened. Obviously, on the replay, I've seen his offside. It's interesting, maybe we should just stand one guy really really offside the whole game and the linesman <laughs> will be so confused by it that everyone else will be allowed to be played onside but I mean fair play to Aubameyang everybody kind of stopped playing and you know it was the old adage: play to the whistle Yeah, and he did he got there it's a pretty good cross too and I liked Ainsley Maitland-Niles coming in and getting the header it reminded me of uh, a little bit of Ashley Cole, I guess scoring a header in a European game where we desperately needed one arriving in the penalty box late and uh, you know I thought he had another Good game. After his good second half against United, this felt like another step forward for maitland
2: Yes, it really did. A really good performance. And he was interesting talking after the game about how Unai Emery said to him, uh, the manager keeps telling me to get into the box for crosses when we play five at the back, so that's what I tried to do. And remember, he did score against Liverpool earlier in the season in not a similar way. It was a, a low cross, which he turned in at the back post, but you a know, similar kind of goal uh, in terms of the positioning of it. That goal was a bit forgotten because Liverpool <laughs> went on and scored five. So uh, you know, there is there is something happening there, and I think... You know, we spoke about him after the United game, didn't we? And said, look, it might not be exactly where he wants to play, but while he is being given the chance to play there, he should do his utmost to to take that opportunity. I thought what was really nice as well was afterwards um, on the TV interview on BT Sport. I don't know if you saw it, but you know, Aubameyang, yeah, yeah Obama Yang was on. there were asking him about you know his celebration and the mask and and all that stuff, which we will come to, of course. But he, you know, he made a point of saying that it was great for uh, Maitland-Niles to be in the team and how important it was for Arsenal to have these young players who have come through the academy. You know, Maitland-Niles has been at the club for, I don't know how many years now, you know, since he was a a little kid and he's here and he's playing in the first team and he's producing and he's putting in good performances and he's, you know, he's developing. You can see it, you know, that there are things happening with his game. He looks more confident. Uh, you know, that's fantastic for Arsenal. You know, if we are a club which isn't going to be quite as financially... Um, what's the word I'm looking for, propped up as we might like, you know, mm-hmm. to have the ability to bring through young players is fantastic. You know, and you look at what United did a couple of weeks ago in Paris, you know, they, they put some real trust in their youngsters uh, going out. I know it was, it was sort of an all or nothing. You might as well give it a lash kind of a thing. But, you know, I, I do like the idea of young players being brought through from the academy into the first team. And, you know, I hope it shows that perhaps we need, sometimes to be a bit patient with these kids because it can take them time to make their mark and to feel established in the in the first-team group.
1: Yeah, and I think we also have to be aware there probably will be more ups and downs ahead for them. You know, Maitland-Niles is still a young player. He's still kind of learning his trade, particularly in that position. And it's almost inevitable that at some stage you might get caught out, and that's partly how lessons are learned. And I hope that when that does happen people remember the positives you know, and the, the good things he's brought to the side since he's come in. And there's that kind of balance there because mm. that's part of the risk of playing a young player. But at the moment, he's definitely on a an upwards trajectory. And it, it is kind of amazing. I do feel like the half-time point in that Manchester United game was kind of a real turning point for him you you almost wonder if someone had a word with him or something because I really feel that since then he's kicked on plenty and a lot of it must be confidence Mm. as well you know once you make that first big intervention you know the first slide tackle you make and it is successful I think from that point on he seems to grow and grow and going forward I think we're seeing what he can bring now as well I think that there's a lot more balance in some ways when we've got a guy like Mate Niles on the right than someone like Lichtsteiner or Mustafi who can't really be effective in that final third he can and uh, yeah long may it continue I think he's had a really good couple of games yeah I mean it's it's
2: certainly the wing back position which allows us to get the best out of him you know I'm not sure quite if he's ready to do it at right back as a full back, as opposed to a wing back, and I think the same goes for Kalasinac in a way. Although I think his experience uh, allows it, uh, allows him to to uh, play that position a bit better than Maitland Niles would. So you know, based on what we've seen in the last two games, uh, and based on the fact that there appears to be a real nice balance in terms of a back three versus. back five in a way because it does feel a bit more like a a, a 3-4-3 or or Mm -hmm. more rather than a 5-3-2 or whatever way you want to look at it it feels like the wingbacks are a very important part of how we're going to attack. So you can look at them almost as attacking players, even though they they do have uh, defensive responsibilities. And when you get Ramsey in the team, you get Ozil in the team, you get two strikers in the team, it feels like a really balanced way of setting out this team. You know, even against smaller opposition, so-called smaller opposition like last night, you know, I've had my issues with the back three This season, but mostly because they've also been played with two deeper lying midfield players and it doesn't feel like there's enough to connect all the areas of the pitch. And we're seeing now in the last couple of games that that, that's possible and Emery has found a way to do it. So as we go into these final games of the season, the run in, I mean, do you reckon this is something that he might stick with? Um, I I know he's going to go a bit game for game and he might consider certain games more suitable for a back four, etc. But um, it does feel like a a fairly solid base from which to work.
1: Yes, it does. I think if he had Hector Bellerin available, I think he would consider going to the back four more frequently. Mm. But without him... Uh, without someone who he's is really convinced by at right-back, the back three does feel like a good way to go. I mean, I would say it's quite reliant on those particular wing-backs still. I still think if you lose Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles, you haven't really got the players to play that system. I think Monreal could just about do it on the left-hand side, but there's no one really on the right who I'd particularly mm. fancy. So... I think it is quite reliant on those two players still, but I found it interesting, I don't know if you saw Emery's press conference last night, but at the end I think he was sort of asked about, is, has this, these last two performances set a benchmark? And he spoke about uh, using different systems and his quote was, he said, uh, yeah, we can use different systems, we started with three, four, one, two, and finished 3 4 three when we were defensively together we were playing with a 5212 or 541 in the last minutes with Mickey and Iwobi. Yeah. I think we can play and change each match with the players we have and the system we have while continuing to be effective and I think that is right but it's interesting that all the variants that he touches on there are kind of variants on this shape, you know, three center halves and the rest ahead of them. I think that that is a good way to go. I think away from home Particularly, I can see the benefit of that third central defender. I don't know if he'll always go with two centre-forwards. I wonder if sometimes he'll go more like he finished the game with Mkhitaryan and Iwobi, say, off one striker. But I yeah, I would be inclined to say, if we've got Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles fitting available, this system between now and the end of the season might be the one for me. Unless there's a very specific reason to shift it to a four, I like the way this looks right now.
2: Yeah, me too. And I think part of it is because I, I really think the players are on top of it. They're mm. on top of the idea of being tactically flexible. When, for many of them, they never were, if you like. You know, when they went out in a game, it was very rare that Arsene Wenger changed his his tactics in the middle of a game. Beyond throwing on all the strikers or all all the fullbacks, you know, depending what we were trying to do, either get a goal or stop uh, the opposition scoring. So this idea that you can change formation and system and, uh, you know, where you need to be on the pitch when you do that is not something that that happens straight away. You do have to take some time to learn that. And I think now maybe we're looking at players who are fully bedded in with what Emery wants from them tactically and can now pull it off.
1: I think so. And also, something we used to talk about a lot under Arsene Wenger was this idea of automatisms, you know, players having understandings. And I think another way of looking at it is just seeing the partnerships on the pitch. And I yeah. think in this team at this point, you are starting to see lots of partnerships develop. I mean, we didn't see it last night, but Socrates and Kosciowni feels like a bit of a partnership, either in a four or a three. I think there's almost a triangle between Monreal, Shaka, and Kalasinac that, you know, if you look at our passing numbers from any game, the, the combinations between those three players are always right at the top. And I think, you know, uh, at the top end of the pitch, you've got Bemiang and Lacazette functioning as a partnership. Yeah. I think Iwobi and Mkhitaryan almost come as a partnership and they sort of have partnerships with their respective wing-backs. So I think there is a greater sense of, if you were kind of drawing the dots between the disparate players on this team, I feel like there's a greater sense of connectivity there. And who knows, maybe Shaka and Ramsey's going to be the the basis of our midfield partnership for the remainder of season two yeah you wouldn't have put too much money on that a few weeks ago would you so no you know, it's interesting I feel like uh, you know Torreira and Guendouzi I know there's been sort of suspension involved for Torreira but, and and Guendouzi had that poor performance in Wren but I, I do feel like their performances have you know, maybe just showing a little bit of signs of fatigue. And it's interesting that at this point, when the season's come to the crunch, Emery has turned to someone with so much experience in Ramsey. And I feel like when you look at our starting lineups at the moment, there is just that bit much more experience there. You know, Genduzzi's come out, Iwobi's come out, Urzel's come in, Ramsey's come in. It's almost like he's leaning on the guys who've sort of been there and done it before.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense, doesn't it, at this end of the season when you know just how crucial these kind of games are. You know, mm. um, so yeah, it, it is interesting. Mikatarian in as well. So, yeah, yeah. look, you can understand why a manager would go that way, and he still does have some useful legs to bring on as and when he, he feels like he needs to. So, we're 2 0 up, and I, I think, like you, um, it's not so much that we didn't know what to do. I think Ran actually got themselves organized a bit and they started to press higher up the pitch and there was more organization in their pressing. So we found it a little bit difficult to get control of the game. It was a bit tetchy, a bit narky at times, wasn't it? I think Lacazette got a booking and I can't really argue with the booking, but there was lots of little stoppages which I felt contributed to um, a sort of a strange performance from both sides because of the way the game was balanced you know Ren knew a goal would mean we had to score again we knew another goal would it uh, wouldn't change that much for us because you know a Ren goal would have um would have brought the game to to extra time but you know either side of halftime I don't think there was an awful lot going on I know they hit the post when Mustafi gave the ball away but it- go on
1: No, I was just going to say, it was a bit of a sort of awkward period in the game. I think that you're right to point out what Wren did differently. I mean, you know, it's that classic thing. It's an Arsenal podcast, so we always look at ourselves. But I think they did adjust. Mm. They did get a bit of a foothold after a really shaky start. And I do think as well that knowledge that they probably had to score almost helped them. I think they came into the game in that really precarious position where you're sort of trying to defend a lead. And I just think psychologically that is can be such a nightmare at times because it's sort of not starting on an even footing. But uh, I thought they were better in that period. But, you know, we also knew that at that point we were winning the tie. I know it was tight and I know it was you know on a knife edge but we were winning the tie within the first 15 minutes of the game so uh, there was probably a degree of management as well and not wanting to go chasing it and risk conceding away goal and shifting the whole balance of the thing so yeah I, I, that, I mean, you know, I was fearing for Lacazette in that period because once he got booked, you know, they weren't happy that he was back from the ban and I thought they're going to do everything they can to get him off the pitch.
2: Yeah, and they did, in fairness. And I have to say the referee, despite the fact he was a little bit frustrating at times, I think he handled that particular situation uh, really well. Sorry, just dropped something there. Um,
1: right. What actually happened there? Because I was at the other end and I couldn't see, find a right. replay of so it. So
2: um, the defender was clearing the ball. And it's that classic uh, that classic situation where... Um, sorry, I'm just fiddling around with something here because it's about to fall over. The, uh, Lacazette ran across him, and as he cleared the ball, he kicked Lacazette and then did that thing where he jumped up in the air and made it look like somehow Lacazette had gone through him.
1: Right, just caught him on the follow-up. Yeah,
2: yeah and, you, and, you know, there was actually... With the first booking, I don't know if you caught this in the ground or whatever, I'm not sure the referee was going to give it, but the guy let out a mighty scream. Like a mighty scream. And the referee was sort of looking the other way, but he heard the scream and then came over and gave the yellow card. And, you know, I think it was a yellow card. It was a booking because he didn't really get the ball. But with the second one, it was one of those where your heart is in your mouth because you've seen them given so often. Mm. Uh, And it's actually not a foul. Lacazette's just come over to block the ball. He's put himself in the way. The defenders kick the ball and follow through and kick Lacazette. And maybe it's a little bit sore, but it's not a foul. You know, so with the guy lying on the ground, I thought the referee did really well. A, he wasn't buying the fact that it was a foul. B, he wasn't buying the player's absolute nonsense, writhing around as if he'd been as if he'd been, you know, kicked in the bollocks, having none of it, telling him to get up. I, I thought he did very well in that situation. So um, I, I'm not necessarily sure Lacazette was on a tightrope, but certainly they were trying to get him sent off. Yeah. which is, it goes into what I was saying about, you know, if they put that much effort into playing football rather than trying to, you know, uh, rig the game in that way, maybe they'd have had a better uh, chance of going through.
1: Yeah, but I think you're right. It was quite niggly. I mean, when you look at it, we ended up with quite a few uh, bookings. I think, you know, Kolasinac was booked. McIntyre was booked mm. after he came on. Both strikers were booked. Obviously, Aubameyang for the celebration um So yeah, I, I I was I found I find each booking sort of a little bit frustrating because you know you worry that they accumulate later. I think particularly the I think was it the Kalasnic one that I thought was very soft, but hey, it's you know it, it, they they were a niggly team. They were real. I thought they were real bastards to be honest. They sort of would leave a foot in and then they would cry if the same thing happened the other way. And, yeah, uh, I. Uh, yeah I didn't warm to them I mean I don't warm to any team with Hatton Ben Arfa in it but particularly this team
2: yeah that's true that is true Hatton Ben Arfa my goodness uh, I thought his uh, anonymity was quite something you know considering yeah. how considering how he was uh, shooting his mouth off after the first leg to come to the Emirates and play that way is just I suppose that sums up why he you know didn't make it at PSG and also why he's at Wren now you know
1: I guess so. I mean, I think he's former sort of, Newcastle player
2: Hatem Ben Arfa.
1: <laughs> I think he's one of those sort of mercurially gifted players, which basically means he only plays well sometimes. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I, I think Unai Emery. Uh, you know, one of the things about Unai Emery that I've noticed this season, you know, there's been questions over like, is he like a proper Arsenal manager? Does he fit our values? I think he does conduct himself. Publicly with real class and I've never heard him complain about a refereeing decision. He was given so many opportunities to bite back at Ben Arfa and he never took them. He always manages to rise above things and maybe that's partly because he's like, well, I don't want to get into this with my still problematic English but I do think, I get the impression that he's someone who maintains a very professional stance and I think that's uh, something that he doesn't get enough credit for sure
2: I think he tries to take the moral high ground as much as mm. possible you know and, and you're right he was given the chance to bite back and he said look you know he was asked about it before the Wren game after the Wren game and before this second leg and, and probably after the second leg I haven't quite read the full transcript of the press conference but you know again he said look he's a good player and we respect him we respect all their players Bang! Just absolutely play it down, and it doesn't become a story. And you don't give the the shit-rank clickbait merchant, merchants, you know, the the stuff that they dream about. Uh, and that's mm. the only reason they're asking those kind of questions, anyway. But uh, I, I enjoyed Ben Arfa's uh, performance yesterday. And uh, you know, uh, we don't have to be as magnanimous as Unai Emery, and he <laughs> can stick it right up his fucking hole. The little prick. Uh, <laughs> so um, we made changes. We brought Iwobi and Mkhitaryan on for like and Ozil and I have to Mm. say they came at a time in the game where I was really really hoping he would do that because it felt like we just needed to change something up to get a bit more control in the game you know they knew they had to score there so they were going to have to come forward a little bit anyway regardless of whether we scored the third Um, so I, I think the two changes worked
1: very well. Yeah, I think they did as well. In fact, for me, they probably could have come slightly earlier, you know, five or ten minutes earlier. Uh, But, you know, I liked them because, you know, if you're looking for control, you could have brought on Torreira, you could have brought on Gunduzi, but essentially bringing on two attacking players and freshening it in the final third. I know there's a slight shift of emphasis by taking off one of the two strikers, but I liked that it was a decision that, you know, it had some defensive implications, but it also kind of kept Wren on the back foot. And they made an immediate impression. I mean, Erzul. I thought Ozil had faded in the second half. I think in the course of the game, he made something like 28 passes, which is about half the amount of passes that, say, an Aaron Ramsey made. And uh, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan made 16 each on their time in the field. Uh, It was only 20 minutes. So I think, you know, that he had sort of lost his way slightly in the match. And that's fine, you know, that that happens to, to the best players sometimes but I thought bringing away Mkhitaryan gave us a bit more shape gave us people who could carry the ball who could hold the ball I mean and. Mkhitaryan- came on, I mean, on fire, I thought. In fact, both of them did. I thought they both had really, really good cameos. Well,
2: Iwobi had a shot, like, almost straight away. I think he was set yeah. up by, could have been Jack at the edge of the box, um, mm. and he pulled a left-footed shot wide. Mikatarian involved in the goal. Um, I thought he held the ball very well and timed the pass to Kolasinac perfectly. Low cross to Aubameyang, and he's there at the, the back post to took it away and, and make it 3-0. Uh Classic Aubameyang goal, I guess you'd say. Also with a classic, well, not quite a classic celebration. We haven't seen it before, but certainly an iconic celebration. It's going to go down in the annals as a moment, I think, that that will connect with, with lots of fans.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I it was right down the other end of the pitch for me, so I was initially like, what's go-? I thought, <laughs> I thought he'd put on a snood. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> it was like the return of Sammy and Nasri. I was like, he's putting on a giant snood. Just to um, say, fuck you, Nasri. I yeah. love this guy.
2: Wow, <laughs> he really knows the history of the club.
1: Yeah, um, he's put on a snood, and then Emmanuel Frimpong's ran on the pitch and pretended to kick him. No, I, I it was... Uh, An iconic moment. I think that's exactly it. I mean, that photograph must be on every back page of the newspapers today. It wouldn't surprise me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what's your take on the whole, oh, stupid way to get a yellow card thing?
2: Yeah, look, maybe it is a stupid way to get a yellow card, but we take football way too seriously. Uh, You know, I think we have to remember that it is entertainment and i think we have to try not to lose our shit over every little thing and the yellow card people were wondering why he gets a yellow card the yellow card is because fifa say if a player covers his head or face with a mask or other similar item when celebrating a goal this is an unnecessary and excessive display of celebration um so that's why, mm-hmm. by the letter of the law, he gets a yellow card. I'm sure he knew that was the case, um, but it, I think it was. I think it was kind of cool and it was kind of funny. And the reaction to it has been, um, I, I think, overwhelmingly positive. Of course, there are people out there who are like, "Well, you can't do that. You can't put a mask on. That's ridiculous." But yeah. you know, I, I, I think about. All the young Arsenal fans around the world who will have been watching that game and who will have thought, fuck, that is brilliant. Look, it's Aubameyang in the Black Panther mask. That's deadly. And they won't take a jaded, cockeyed view of it the way some of us older people might if you're that way inclined, you know uh, I I get that it's not going to be something that that connects with everybody but I think you have to think about who it does connect with and what it might mean for them and what it might mean for their, you know, their memories of supporting Arsenal at an early age you know, we get a little bit too fucking butthurt about all kinds of things and sometimes you should just enjoy something for the kind of good crack that it is and, and that's
1: where I am on that I think that's a, a, a good point. And I think, you know, we want Arsenal to be this club with global appeal, a club that attracts young fans mm. all around the world. And I think back to when I was a young fan and, you know, I sort of was an Arsenal supporter kind of by default, but what made me fall in love with it was I think Ian Wright and some of his outrageous celebrations, you know, some of the stupid stuff he used to pull when he scored a goal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like running all around the pitch and acting things out. And I thought that was... Fantastic, And I think people, if you're a young fan today and you see Aubameyang do that, you think, well, maybe there's something about this guy. Maybe there's something about this club. And I think that can only be a good thing wherever you are in the world. I mean, I suppose the marketing guys at Arsenal be furious because it should have been Rwanda forever, of course. (laughs) Don't forget to visit Rwanda, guys. Um, There was a slightly cynical part of me thinking, is this, I mean, you know, because it was the Avengers trailer, I think, came out yesterday and then he pulls the Black Panther mask on the day I was like I hope this isn't going to lead to some UEFA investigation where he's been paid to do an ad or something oh but my god yeah you, okay. I know <laughs> that would be real bad dude. I mean we don't want the Bentner Paddy Power pants all over again no but I, um, I his, think, his post-match explanation I think has covered that off
2: yeah I think so I think so and you know uh It's an iconic mask from an iconic player, and it's going to be an iconic moment. Whether you like it or you dislike it, the sheer number of pictures and stories and reactions to it tells you that's exactly what it is. So if you want to be annoyed about it, by all means be annoyed about it. I, I can't see myself being annoyed about it. Not until he picks up a yellow card in the next round and has to miss <laughs> the second game in the quarterfinal, at which sure. point I reserve every right to go, that was stupid, you can't wear a mask. I he hadn't worn the mask. Um, yeah, no, look, it, it is what it is. Are the yellow cards wiped out at quarterfinal stage the way that great they question. are in the Champions League
1: I hmm. don't know uh, I don't know League. I'm googling it yeah, look. while I'm googling it, I'll just say there's a great picture of on on Ask blog on the main site on your blog or for Birmingham wearing the mask but I can't tell if it's just this picture but it looks like as he's pulled the mask on it's sort of brought his eyelid down over his eye so he can't really see out of it properly Um which is quite enjoyable. But are uh, yellow cards wiped out ahead of... In the Champions League, I think they get wiped out ahead of the semis, don't they? Yeah. League,
2: uh, Amnesty,
1: let's see. But I don't know in the Europa League. Champions League, I
2: don't know. I don't know either. I can see the Europa League regulations. Uh, here they are. It's a 104-page PDF,
1: which I'm not uh, sure
2: I've got the time to, to go through, but maybe I can just do a find. All
1: yellow cards and pending yellow card suspensions expire on completion of the playoffs. They're not carried forward to the group stage. In addition, all yellow cards expire on completion of the quarterfinals. Okay. They are not carried forward to the semifinals, and that is from the official Europa League regulations. There we go. So if he gets through the first... Um, First leg of the quarterfinal. Yeah, he's in the clear, essentially.
2: Will he be though? Because if he gets two, no. Because if he gets another booking, he will miss a game because he will have had two bookings. Surely.
1: Oh, I see. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So he's got. So they get wiped after the quarterfinals. Yeah. So he's got to get through this round. Mm, okay. Um, All right. And there's a few players, I guess, on bookings now. But uh,
2: Jack is on a booking. Kolasinac on a booking. Mkhitaryan on a booking. Um. Somebody else? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Don't think so. I think that's it. Um, OK, well, look, it is what it is. Um, three I mil- mean, should,
1: One thing on Aubameyang, should he have maybe waited for the hat-trick goal? Because he really should have left with the match ball last night.
2: Oh, my goodness. I can't believe the chances that he missed. You know, he was on. Well,
1: except I, you kind yeah, of can. Yeah, kind
2: of, I guess. But he was on. You know, he was on BT last night after us, and he goes, uh, "Yeah, you know, we missed a couple of chances." Okay, I missed a couple of chances, which I thought <laughs> was quite funny. But I mean, he should have. I mean, the the skill from Aaron Ramsey to set that one up that he that he missed kicked at the back post. Ramsey just played kind of a one-two off his own uh, heel. I think he kicked it off his right foot, off his left foot, into the path of Aubameyang. Amazing. Yeah, it
1: was great skill. And when he missed that one, that was the second one, the, the one he sort of left-footed at the near post. I think Rams, and Iwobi kind of had the, <laughs> their hands on the back of their head. <clears throat> you know, they couldn't believe it. Uh, the first one's just a slightly heavy touch, I think, after Iwobi plays him in, <clears throat> which I think makes it difficult for him. That, you know, the keeper really comes out and narrows the angle. That one's sort of understandable. The second one... Maybe less so. But look, I mean, we know the conundrum that Aubameyang presents. Yeah. he He gets so many chances and he misses some of them, but he still scores more than pretty much anybody else. So. Yeah.
2: And I think we are slightly nitpicking on a day... Uh, where he's scored to created the other, even if it was offside, yeah. and played a massive part in us getting through to the quarterfinals. So- I
1: actually thought he had a really good all-round performance. I know yeah. sometimes we say, oh, he just scores goals, what does he offer all-round? But I thought he was really good against Van. I thought he worked really hard. He challenged, I think he challenged for more aerial duels than pretty much any attacking player on the pitch. Um He ran the channels well. I think when we play this system that we started with, Mm. there's kind of an onus on the strikers to almost do the sort of Iwobi-Mkhitaryan jobs. So they kind of split and combine with the wing-back and I thought Aubameyang did that really well, uh, unusually well for him. So, yeah, I definitely don't want to nitpick. I thought it was a good night. For yeah, him. so
2: all in all, a good night. The last few minutes, a little bit nervy. Uh, you know, they were offside a couple of times. I think Kolasinac made a, a really great block. Mm. Um, you know, d- defensively, I thought we were, we were pretty good. Um, so, despite that, Fear that we might have to endure extra time. It didn't manifest itself. We kept another clean sheet. That's two wins at home uh, on the bounce. A very good way to go into the interlull. And of course, we have the um, we have the draw coming up at midday, which we're probably going to miss. Um, but we can react to it. We'll have all the 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 news and the draw over on Arsberg News, so you can find that there. Um, you know, a good week, James. You know, when you consider how deflated uh, we were. After the derby, you know, we could see the positives in the performance, but when you when you miss the chance to take the three points, it can be um, something which affects you and affects your confidence. Instead, the manager and the team have responded really well. Um, you know, there's been a bit more... Uh, aggression, a bit more attacking intent to the way that we play and the teams that we select. And we've been rewarded for that. And going into the interlal, I think it's great that we're not, we're not pouring over bad results or a European exit. You know, we've gone in, uh, we're going into this now in good spirits. And I, I do think that's important at this time of the season.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you look at this period of games, we had the Wren game, the Spurs game, the United game. If you'd offered anybody qualification in Europe, a draw in the derby and a win over Manchester United, I think they would have snapped your hand off. Uh, I know losing the away leg against Wren kind of cast a slightly different light on things, but ultimately we got the job done in this period. And it's quite strange now, isn't it, to have is it fully three weeks before we play again? Well, not strictly.
2: Monday, two weeks. Of course, we do have that friendly game in in Dubai. Um, I'm not sure how many of the first team will be uh, playing in that because lots of them will be away on international duty. I think uh, Uruguay, worryingly, have uh, three games in eight days. Uh, uh, Aubameyang will be away with Gabon, uh, and I'm sure there's lots of others away too. But, uh, yeah, look, that might keep our fitness in. But, yes, it's Monday, two weeks before we play again. So, I think we should go into these final eight games generally speaking nicely refreshed the batteries recharged and absolutely focused on what it is that we need to do and what we've got ahead of us because the top four is there for us if we want it Uh, Europa League is going to be difficult Um, we can maybe talk about the potential opposition uh, after the break when we take some questions Mm -hmm. Um, but you know if you were to say to somebody you've got two weeks off more or less a little bit more than two weeks, going into a run-in, which on paper is far from the toughest run-in we could have, and you're sitting in the top four. At this point of the season, I think most people would have been happy to take that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't come with any guarantees, but it's a really strong position to be in. And you mentioned the European draw. You know, I think how kind that is to us will affect our chances in the Premier League quite substantially. You know, if we get a, a really tricky tie might have a knock-on effect in the Premier League so we're kind of waiting and seeing on that one but it is is in our hands and that's at this point in the season Mm. all you can ask for really
2: Okay, look, um, we have got lots of questions about what went on last night and various bits and pieces as well so we're going to do that now in just a second we're going to take a break Uh, anything else on your mind for this first part or
1: will we go to part two? Uh, no, I think we can go... Oh, well, I suppose a quick well done to Olivier Giroud for his hat-trick, isn't he? Still, No, a Arsenal no, fans. no,
2: no, 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 <laughs> what? Why? No. I don't know. What's I going on? Like- what is going on here with this Giroud stuff? Now, look, I don't dislike Olivier Giroud
1: at all, but
2: he's scoring for Chelsea, James.
1: What's wrong with your I don't What's care, but I just feel head? like every time he does something, we have to be like, oh, we love Olivier Giroud. No, we don't. I find, you know, I have to say, lots of players have left
2: Arsenal down the years and they've gone to various clubs and, and what have you. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen one that fits, or to my mind, fits a club less than Giroud at Chelsea. What it do just you mean? doesn't. Like it just doesn't look right? It, just, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. I don't know how to describe it. It's just a feeling that it's the wrong club for him. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, we should have kept him. I, I, You know, his time at Arsenal, I think, was, was better than some people give him credit for. But, you know, we've moved on and he's gone somewhere else and that's fine. But it just doesn't... Giroud at Chelsea, I think, is going to be one of those things that he'll move on. I think he'll leave Chelsea in the summer and... In a few years' time, hopefully we'll be sitting here on this podcast and we'll go, remember when Giroud played for Chelsea? That was weird, wasn't it? Mm. That's what I think of that. But he can stick his goals up his hole as well, though, at the moment. Oh,
1: i tell you what. We, why we might own the favour. Uh, he's keeping Alex Lacazette out of the French squad, and that's fine with me. <laughs> OK,
2: yeah, yeah. Keeps lacazette like nice and fresh.
1: Yeah, so there you go. OK. Thank you to him for that, if mm. nothing else. No. <laughs>
2: All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, For part one, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, open me in! That was quite a contribution you made to last night's win in the Europa League. Two goals and an assist. However, what was that celebration about with the mask? It was stupid and did not resonate with me at all. Also, you would never get an Arsenal player in the past doing something like that. For example, taking his shorts down and doing a moony at the fans. Also, Black Panther? What's that all about? Why isn't there a White Panther? What have you got against our Bino Katsopemiye? You're making me crazy and I don't think I can take it anymore! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and our Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Patreon members Discord chat server. It's exclusive and private and full of cool and funky stuff. If you're a Patreon member, uh, you can get access to this and you can ask questions for the Arscast Extra. And from there, we have the first question, James, uh, from our Discord. It comes from Ollier Hodes, Ollier underscore Hodes. And he says, given that there was a moment last night when Petr Cech went down injured, or ospined, you could say, after we'd made all three subs, who do you think out of the current squad would do the best job filling in in goal?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Um... Because oh, I did have that panic uh, when check went down. I was like, oh, my word, what are we going to do here? Dude, let, me, let me ask you this. You,
2: you say panic, right? Mm. Was there a part of you that kind of wanted it, though?
1: <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. There's a curiosity, isn't there, about yeah. who, who would be good? Um, I'm just trying to think. Well... If, if, We've if, seen Aubameyang in training pictures in
2: goal. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he he seems to like it. He seems to like it. He's quite tall. He's agile.
1: He's into if you're it. you're Gonna wear a mask? Why not gloves? Do you and know he what could I mean? just
2: take Paderchek's helmet. Yeah. Can you imagine
1: Aubameyang with Paderchek's helmet on his head? I wouldn't. Would it even go over his hair? He's got quite a lot of height, hasn't he? To it. Yeah, maybe.
2: He'd just have to sit perched atop his hair. Yeah. Uh like Adrian, uh, would you actually think he'd be good? He's got he's tall. I'm just trying to think out of the current squad who I would fancy and I think he would probably be right up there. Um in terms of certainly in terms of who was on the pitch yesterday, like who else would you think about? Socrates maybe, you know the center half and goal big guy, he just come out with his knee every time there's a ball into the box. Mm. I think, I, mean, I think...
1: Uh, A.C. Obama- Maylon Maitland- has played every other position, so yeah. why not give him a go? I, I, I've got a weird feeling, and I can't explain it, but I've got a weird feeling for Aaron Ramsey. Just a good all-rounder. Yeah, he's just know? a good all-rounder. He's very athletic. Um, He's very committed. Yeah. Uh, I th- I've just got a, a hunch... Yeah, he would be all right. I, I reckon. Mean, typically, so, people go with defenders, don't they?
2: Yeah, I think so. But I, I see what you mean about Ramsey because I bet Ramsey, you know, he's he's a, a really great footballer, but he, appear, he appears to be a good golfer. I'd say he's good at tennis. Tennis. He yeah, plays I can tennis, see him playing
1: tennis. You
2: know, squash. Squash. Absolutely. Racquetball. I could imagine Aaron Ramsey even playing hurling.
1: Wow, I reckon. I reckon I think he could actually I think he'd sort of Be good at anything He's the kind of guy Who like turns up To the pub And just sort of You know Wins every game of darts Without ever really practicing You know He's got that air to him
2: Table tennis Uh, I reckon he's good at that too Pool
1: Yeah All of it Think of a sport He could do it
2: Synchronised swimming On his own He could do it
1: Yeah He could beat A team of synchronised swimmers Single-handedly Yeah Amazing. At any sport. Yeah. <laughs> no, um,
2: water polo.
1: Yeah. So I think I would go Ramsey of the options that were on the pitch. Yeah, yes, I wouldn't. I'd go with
2: Aubameyang. I'd go with okay. Aubameyang, yeah. I know it denies us a, a goal scorer, but, you know, if we had to do it yesterday, and there's part of me that's absolutely good it we didn't, <laughs> uh, not that I want serious injury to check, just enough to, like, take him off the pitch for the last few minutes, for me it sure. would have been Aubameyang,
1: so... Okay, well, if it works out, we don't have to, you know, replace Peter when he retires in the summer. We just have to have one of those guys in the squad. (laughs) The old Phil Jagielka trick. Yes.
2: Oh, God, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: This question is maybe a slight down on proceedings. It's from Flanny Balls on Twitter. And they ask, last night was great, but realistically is a side that loses away to Barte and Wren likely to win the Europa League? Uh,
2: I see where he's coming from. I do see where he's coming from. However, you could flip it around and say, is not a side that is capable of coming back from a deficit in two legs capable of winning the Europa League. Now, granted, the level of the opposition is not particularly great and and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, look, it, it is a bit of a worry. But I do think, certainly against Wren, the... The the circumstances in the game went against us. You could maybe just say it was a bit of a freak show. You know, we go down to ten men, and then you know, instead of doing what we should do, we do basically the opposite and mm. and make it easy for Ren. In the game against Bate. Uh, I've heard people talk about you know it was a bad pitch, and it was just a fluky headed goal, and we couldn't you know couldn't score on the night. it can happen, yes, it can happen that would be slightly more worrying to me than the the game against Wren because uh you know they're they were they're so bad, just they're so bad, and they hadn't played a game of football in two and a half months uh because they were in hibernation uh you know from a footballing point of view, so that yeah. to me was a little bit more worrying but I wouldn't make any definitive judgments about our ability not to be able to win it based on those games.
1: Yeah, I, I weirdly, I don't either. And I sort of think in a funny kind of way, playing bigger teams might suit us to an extent. Um, I, it's a odd thing, but I always think, you know, the Barte match where they sort of sat deep in against us and, that gave us real problems. I don't think it played to our strengths particularly, but I think mm. when it's a bit more even-handed, we might come out on top. I mean, look, I don't make us favourites for the Open League, let's put it like that. Who, but- do, who do you make favourites?
2: And, and I- let me just um, ask you this question now, uh, which is kind of aligned with that. It comes from Noah Tan, who's at Noah Tan YW. Noah Tan no hmm. Anyway, he says, which team would you like us to meet in the Europa League next in the quarterfinals? For me, it'll be Villarreal so that we can watch Santi at the Emirates one more time and give him
1: the send off he deserves. I would also like that, I yep. have to say. Uh, I would love to see Cazola back at the Emirates, and I also feel like Villarreal sort of seem like a relatively beatable side. Would, um, you,
2: would you prefer someone like Villarreal in the semi-final and get one of the big boys potentially out of the way in the quarterfinal, you know, Chelsea or Napoli? The potential teams that we can draw, by the way, for people who, who don't know, uh, Chelsea, Napoli, Frankfurt, Villarreal, uh, who the hell else is there, uh, Slavia Prague, Valencia and mm. Benfica. So, you know, there's some handy enough ones in there. But I think Napoli and Chelsea are the two most dangerous teams that we could face. So yeah. maybe one of those, media, like Napoli versus Chelsea would be great, wouldn't it? Because it would be Sari going back to, to his former club. And I would like Napoli to beat Chelsea because I don't want to play an English club again. Uh, there's no. something weird about European football when you're facing an English club. I don't like it. Don't like it.
1: I have uh, some concerns about Chelsea. I also feel like I worry that the results... Yeah, your name, mate Giroud
2: like... will come along and score some goals and you'll be like, oh, well, you know, we have to say fair play suppose, to Giroud yeah, for scoring. What a what a great performance. We all love Olivier Giroud. You Thanks asked the- me
1: if I had anything else <laughs> for part one, I panicked. yeah um, <laughs> Never again So listen I, uh, I worry about the Chelsea game I tell you Not because I worry about Giroud But because I fear That the result Of that tie Might have some kind of Knock on effect On Premier League mm. And our top four chances You know I, I also just feel like It would be such a big game And it would be so much Sort of media focus And you know Pressure to win it Ultimately That I worry That it might detract a bit From the Premier League games In that period I I don't want to play Chelsea at all if Chelsea could draw Napoli and go out that would be absolutely ideal Uh, a couple of ish teams did go out last night Inter Milan went out Sevilla went out Um, so there'll be no reunion with them through Noamary there could be one with Valencia which it kind of worries me because I've the ghost of John Carew (laughs) it <laughs> looms large in my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know that was a long time ago, but I've got unpleasant memories of Valencia. Mm. So, I mean, look, I, I I, don't really care about the glory. I just want to get further in it not be that difficult. So if someone can promise me, you know, Slavia Prague or Frankfurt or, you know, somebody like that, I, I'm all over it.
2: Yeah, me too. I, You know, it would be good if some of the big teams could take care of each other or if someone could take care of the big teams for us. I'd be all on board with that, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, someone like Napoli beat Chelsea, then someone beat Napoli, uh, and we face them in the final. That would be ideal for me. Um, I, I do really like the idea of Villarreal, though. You know, a reunion with Santi Cazorla, who, as we know, had a, a horrendous end to his Arsenal career. Not that he left under a cloud or, or with any ill will or anything like that, but the injury that he sustained and he had to deal with was so horrific um, that it's just a shame we never really got a chance to say a proper goodbye to him on the pitch. Mm-hmm. He didn't get a chance to to pull on the shirt again and it's great. It really is brilliant to see him playing and playing well again for, for Villarreal. I remember being at the game Uh, against Villarreal in the Champions League not the semi-final but uh, a few years later when Robert Pires was playing there and that was quite cool because like Cazorla he didn't really get an official goodbye because of the way that he left the club you know if you remember the the story is he went to see Arsene Wenger who offered him a a one-year deal and he got a better offer from from Villarreal and off he went to to play there for a while so there wasn't that sort of last game thing with, with Robert Perez yeah. and afterwards I think we I can't remember I think we won maybe it was a, an Adibayor overhead kick was it 1-1 one, one or one all or 1-0 yeah. I can't remember the... I was
1: at what, is this in Spain? yeah I think I was at that game right yeah it, it was I, in... I, I, yeah in Villarreal yeah yeah and it was an Adibayor bicycle kick I think we won didn't we 1-0
2: maybe yeah um, 2009. 2009?
1: Yeah. Jesus,
2: that's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. Um, I think it was one one actually. right. I think it was one one. but it was a great goal for Matty Bayor. But after mm-hmm. the game, you'll remember, of course, that Robert Perez came over to the to the way, the away end and got a, an amazing reception from from the Arsenal fans. Mm. And when he came back to the Emirates there was an incredible reception for him as well. So I you know just from a purely sentimental point of view and I, you know we can we can live with a bit of sentimentality in football. It is nice when you're talking about you know a great player who's done some fantastic things for you. Not like you know welcoming back Olivier Giroud or something like that. You know this is Santi Cazorla who was uh, you know a player that everybody loved, you know if you like uh, football in any way you've got to love the way Santiago Cazorla played the game um, so from a romantic point of view yes give me some Villarreal and also from a footballing point of view because I, you know with with all due respect I think they're a team that, that we can beat so that will be a nice one for me
1: yeah it'll be an interesting one as well because we play uh, these fixtures fall on mm. the 11th and the 18th and weirdly we've got Watford on the 15th on the Monday so we'll have to go to Watford on the Monday and then potentially away again on the Thursday Uh, and then we've got Crystal Palace the weekend after I mean you know not the most uh, taxing fixtures around them but Watford you know have been pretty decent this season so look I'd love it to be Villarreal and to be honest the sooner the better for me because you know I want to see Santi back at the Emirates
2: yeah okay Um, Marcus (laughs) Senna scored the goal that night for for, uh, Ah. for Villarreal uh, and Almunia went off injured. Lukas Fabianski came on. I see. Yeah? I see. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. I, I didn't I just look it up. It. I remembered it. I used, yeah. my, I used my brain.
1: <laughs> I do remember because Adebayo was sort of, that was the season after he'd sort of threatened to leave for AC Milan and all that business. And he was kind of having a really in and out, not very good year, but it was yeah. a brilliant, brilliant goal. Um, this question comes from Tom Bradley on Twitter, who's at tbradley5. And Tom asks... Should Juan Carlos Casado be getting more credit for what he's done with our defensive set pieces? The amount of times we catch the opposition offside is incredible. I have to say, that's not something I particularly noticed. Is that something that you'd spotted? No, but I do think, isn't there a stat going around
2: that we've conceded fewer goals from set pieces than any other team in the Premier League? Pretty
1: much, yeah. We're very, very good uh, from set pieces Okay,
2: and I think as well, um, we have to bear in mind that maybe not last year but the year before I think we used to have a big problem with it and then we addressed it and we, were, we became much more solid under set pieces um, under Arsene Wenger too um, mm, that's true you know but uh, yeah if he's doing the work if he's doing um, things that are making us more solid defensively more organised and disciplined at the back from set pieces I mean they had a series of corners but I wasn't particularly worried about any of them Um, And maybe that's because over the last few months or whatever, we haven't really conceded goals from set pieces and we have been solid and we have been aggressive defensively when defending set pieces, which is so important. So if that's down to Juan Carlos Carcedo, then yes, he deserves eight credit out of 10.
1: (laughs) We have conceded the least from set pieces in the Premier League with only four, which is really good I mean Liverpool a second with sixth uh, with six so that is quite impressive uh, in terms of goals four from set pieces we are in fourth position with 12 Brighton Tottenham and Liverpool again ahead of us so Liverpool doing pretty well from dead balls this season despite the sort of reputation as a free-flowing attacking team um, but, yeah, I, you know, that is pretty... I mean, we don't really know quite what the delineation responsibility is, but judging by all the pointing he does before every corner, I think we can presume it's Juan Carlos's yeah. uh, grand plan. So, yeah, I think that is uh, an encouraging sign and fair place to him.
2: OK, this one comes from Roland Godfrey, who's at Rolandinho... 17, which I'm sure is, uh, you know, simply because of his footballing talents and his similarities to the great Ronaldinho, Uh, he says, at this point, who are the contenders for our player of the season? It seems very difficult to pick one out this year, but Lacazette, Shaka, and Koshelny should surely all be in there. What do you think?
1: I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking there are quite a few contenders maybe it's simply that there isn't a standout contender I mean it's amazing isn't it is the second top goal scorer in the Premier League and yet he wasn't in that list of names I can't think of a time in Arsenal's history really where you might have someone racking up that many goals and they wouldn't be spoken about as a potential player of the season um, who do I think I think uh, emotionally I want to say Koscielny mm. because what he's produced Tim Stillman wrote a great piece about it for Arsenal but what he's Produced this season Given You know Where he was Back in May Is, is Absolutely remarkable um, So I would Emotionally I have a strong sense To give it to him But if you think about it He's only really Come into the side What was it December um, mm. So if you're looking More consistently Across the course Of the season I think Lacazette Is a really good Shout Um, I think Lacazette Would be right Up there For mm. me What about you I do think you have to look at Aubameyang. You have to, yeah. You know,
2: twenty-two goals, um, and between now and May, he, you know, potentially could could reach the thirty-goal mark, which is the kind of landmark which often makes a player player of the season. Hmm. But maybe it is interesting that there isn't one particular player standing out. Whether that's to do with a lack of overall quality or a consistency in terms of performance across the squad, it's it's hard to, to say exactly, isn't it? You know, it, it, it feels like... I don't know whether I'm just dreaming this or just making this up, but, but there's more emphasis on the collective rather than the individual this season. We're not looking for one player to do the magic thing yeah. to, to win us a game. And it seems... You know the successes or the the results and the things that we can do seem to be coming more from uh, when the team performs rather than one individual performs.
1: But isn't that exactly what Unai Emery's sort of been banging on well, yeah. about all season? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's true. I think there is probably less of a sort of star system in place mm-hmm. at Arsenal than there has been, and I, I think the consequence. Is maybe a little bit more of shared responsibility, uh, shared accountability, and consequently, we're sort of—it's not a no-brainer. I think the goal scorers, Aubameyang and Lacazette, are going to be high on people's list. I mean, sure. the name I keep coming up in my mind, and there must be a bit of recency bias in it, but Leno, uh, Leno's been very good. He, I was not who I was going to say. I was going to say Kalasenac, actually. Um, I just think, yeah, I think I just you're right. Think he's been
2: great. Yeah, he has been in the last few weeks there's no question he's, he's combined the two parts of his game the defending and the attacking really really well um, you know so much so that it gives me a little bit of pause for thought about what we should do in the transfer market this summer you know yeah. um, whether that's enough for Unai Emery or the people making the decisions at a football level to change their minds I don't know but yeah I think there is a bit of recency bias though in, in that sense Leno's got to be in there with a bit of a shout as well you know mm. um i know he hasn't always been spectacular but you look at some of the contributions he's made in recent weeks in the derby in the game against uh manchester united as well um we talk often about how games are decided on fine margins and our goalkeeper has helped us keep those margins very very fine indeed in some of the performances so i think you'll be up there as well but it'll be a it'll be a split vote i think you know it'll be a close vote there'd be nobody out there with like 70 80% of the vote it would be like yeah. 35% versus 22% and lots of people with 15 14% you know maybe that's that's what it'll come down to so we'll see
1: it is interesting. I mean, I, I do think the more you look at Bemiang's sheer output in terms of numbers and goals, it's quite difficult to see past that. I feel mm. like maybe we are, you know, our perception of it is coloured by the fact that we know he's missed a couple of chances, but the, the numbers are still incredibly impressive. Um, let's have another question, but I don't know what it's going to be. OK, this question comes from Christopher Wilmot on Facebook. And they ask, Christopher asks, Andrew and James, assuming you have access to the metrics and analytics, I've always wondered how the number of downloads of the podcast are affected by good and bad results or form. Is this something you'd be willing to share?
2: Well, it's it's really dependent on the opposition and the scoreline and the context of it in a way. So... You could have a really bad result, but the interest in the podcast is really high. So let's say you lose a North London derby in controversial circumstances. There are going to be a lot of people who want to listen to that. Probably more people will want to listen to that than a routine 2-0 win at home over someone like Burnley. Right. Right? So... It fluctuates really depending on the opposition and depending on the context of the game. So it's not a case that if we lose, automatically there are less listeners and if we win, automatically there are more. Sometimes you can win a game and have fewer listeners than a game in which you've, you've lost. So it really just comes down to, to who we're playing and, and how the game goes, you know? So, you know, a game when we win against Man United, for example, we win against Tottenham or Chelsea, yeah, it's big, as well that obviously adds listeners because people are into that and there are people out there who regardless of how we lose do not want to listen to anything or read anything you know when we lose it's complete media blackout stuff no match of the day no reading arse blog no listening to podcasts you know they don't want anything they don't want to do anything they just want to sort of get that behind them and then you know move on to to the next game but uh, the the answer is it, it really depends and it goes up and down all over the place
1: Mm. And there's no way of saying, you know, a big defeat doesn't uh, get more listeners than a, a big win. So let's say when we get battered by Liverpool versus when we beat Manchester United, is it is it possible to equate between those two in terms of I, what the interest is like?
2: I would say it's kind of the kind of the same. Right. Kind of the same. You know, the big games against the big opposition have much more interest for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, simple as that uh, so in, in some ways it, it could be if we lose it's like well i uh, listen to this as part of the the catharsis part of the way of getting over it and if you win then people just want to relive it and they want to recap and they want to hear the enjoyment from you about how you um, reacted to the result what's going on behind you there?
1: I don't know I've got headphones on I think dr- they're building stuff next door oh so uh, ok something like I just that.
2: thought it was somebody singing terribly <laughs> So. it could
1: be that could be my wife it could be she's not got a great voice um, <laughs> don't, you're going to get yourself in so much trouble but uh, okay that's interesting so what I can infer from this is like the sort of games against mid-table opposition I don't really need to try on the podcast is that what you're telling me? are you, the, but, are you saying you're going to be the Mesut Ozil of podcasting? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no they're the games he loves I'm joking I'm joking uh. Ozil fans
2: I am joking honestly
1: yeah. When do they listen to the podcast? I suppose if he plays, there's a big upsurge in listeners because they'll, they'll listen to that. But um, yes, interesting. So we're, we're, we're both glory hunters and doom mongers. Absolutely.
2: Listeners. Absolutely. Uh, okay, we've got a couple of questions like this based on uh, what happened last night. Uh, Beardy, Beard faced, who's that bearded Hannon, says, What superhero mask would you wear if you scored a goal? And Phil Chambers, who's at Phil underscore Chambers, um, with Obamiang uh, selecting Black Panther and Kalasanash obviously being the Hulk. What other Avengers
1: do we have in our team? Interesting. Well, Obamiyang has done um, he's done Batman and Spider-Man previously, hasn't he? I think he might have done, done, done Venom Spider-Man, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was the guy? Do you remember Facundo Sava, who played for Fulham? Yeah, he and did masks as well, didn't he? Wasn't his, like, a Zorro mask or something? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he used to get booked for that. He used to keep it in his sock. Right. Good luck getting that big Black Panther mask in his sock. That's all I'll say. Should have had it down his shorts. Yeah, but then he's got to put it on his face. <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, it's your own...
1: Stuff, It's your own sure. gooch, you know? Sure, sure, sure. If it's, no problem if it's your own gooch. Um what superior mask would i put on i don't know i might sort of do the inverse i might do this clark kent and just put my glasses back on (laughs) so nobody could see nobody where's james gone where's he gone oh my god where's that footballer gone oh it's that arsenal blogger uh yeah that would be great if a footballer just pulled out their specs they've been playing blind the whole match and still managed to score um yeah someone asked you know what what Avengers do we have? Do you know, I, I'm not that good on the Avengers. I've sort of... Have you watched all the Avengers films? I've lost track now. I don't Probably, really know.
2: Probably, but they all kind of, you know, go into into one for me. I know if people are out there listening and they're big Avengers fans, they'll be going, oh, how could you? But, they, yeah, know. you know, they're all just super cool. And um, is um, is... What's his face? Is
1: Deadpool one of the Avengers? Or is he... No, I think he's in a different... Universe, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Old Ryan Reynolds, yeah, is Deadpool in Avengers? I've googled it. What he's, he's Marvel, isn't he? Deadpool is Marvel. Hmm, aren't the
2: Avengers Marvel?
1: I don't know. I don't think Deadpool is in the Avengers, but he's not but in the but actual. Yes, Avengers. He is Marvel, okay, but I don't think he's in the movies. But listen, there's going to be people at home who know this, screaming at us, absolutely screaming. You idiots! You absolute idiots! I mean, Kalasnic looks a bit like Thanos, doesn't he?
2: A little bit, the- but also I feel like Kalasnic could be a good
1: Wolverine. I'd like to see Kalasnic. As- surely, Hulk.
2: Well, we said that in the question. If you were oh, listening, for goodness' sake.
1: I was panicking about my lack of Avengers no, no, Yeah, absolutely.
2: That. Um, I think he would be a good Wolverine. Like, imagine Kalasynatch running down the left-hand side, and as Kieran Trippier came towards him, he just kind of did the thing with his like Wolverine claws and lifted him out of the way by eviscerating him, just like claws straight in the belly, and then just chopping him into four bits, like four slices of Kieran that Trippier
1: on the ben- on the on the pitch. I'd like that. Do you know who I think's like Wolverine? Torreira, because I think in the comics, Wolverine is really short. I think he's supposed to be really? yes. According to Marvel Comics, Wolverine is only five foot three in height, and Hugh Jackman's six foot three, and it's seen as a big disparity between the comics and the films. Right? Yes. Wolverine's only supposed to be five foot three, and you know. Torreira's got that slight sort of wolf boy energy that Silvino had, to me, anyway.
2: Right, Okay. Well, that makes sense if you're being uh, true to the uh, traditions of the comic books, which, of course... literature. Which, of course, we are the literature. You know, we're the highbrow Avengers people.
1: This is canon, guys, fittingly, for Arsenal. But there's so Um,
2: many of the fuckers, aren't there?
1: Like, isn't there not millions of Avengers? Uh, There are, I think, a million Avengers, yeah. But, I mean, is this a big spoiler? Don't half of them die? <laughs> well, I don't know.
2: Like, like, maybe some of them do, and then do they not come back to life and shit yeah, like that?
1: I don't know. Can, can,
2: can Superman not fly around the world and bring them all back by making the you know time travel possible by spinning the Earth backwards as if that's how time fucking travel works? It's yeah, not how bullshit. it works. Also, Superman is uh, DC, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. different.
1: Okay. But uh, Captain America, Gideon's LLM. I guess he's He's gone gone now he's gone he's gone farewell Gideon we barely knew thee yeah um yeah any thoughts on Gideon going to America good luck to him good luck to him i say good luck to him I hope he could stay fit yes that's that's his big challenge right
2: yeah who was the one that could make uh, everything freezing cold was that Halle Berry I
1: think that's X-Men isn't it but that I don't know (laughs)
2: <laughs> this is what I mean. There's too many of these films, and I can't keep track of who's who.
1: Um, Gary O'Driscoll, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh, who's
2: um uh Danger Mouse? Danger, Danger Mouse.
1: Danger Mouse.
2: Yeah. He was one of the Avengers, wasn't he?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ant Man is one of the Avengers. Yeah. Okay. Another possibility for Torreira. I'm looking at a picture of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and I'm thinking it looks a little bit like Lauren Koscielny. Uh, and he's sort of the leader, isn't he, as well? That and he's, you know, yeah,
2: that would be a good way of extending Koscielny's uh, career. career. Put him in the suit. All we've got to do is take out his heart and replace it with a mini fusion reactor or whatever the fuck it is that keeps um, Iron Man alive.
1: Yeah, he's I think that... the Iron Man engine. That would be a great idea. And, and then I think whack him in the suit as yeah,
2: well. hasn't to... the club just installed this brand new battery-powered generator type thing? I don't know if people have seen this, but they have installed some kind of um super green battery-powered backup system uh, in case, you know, electricity goes out. We've got this we've got our own grid somewhere, but it's um it's very environmentally friendly. So maybe we could just plug Kushalni into that. At the end of every game, we just stick him into a little chamber, beside that, get his battery all uh, charged up again.
1: Yeah, that could be good. I mean, I think the real billionaire businessman, ideally to be Iron Man, would be Matthew Flaminy, wouldn't it? But he's 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 long gone. Um, what about Granite Shacker as Thor? You know, his left foot is the hammer. It sort of works. Yeah, the hammer would be
2: good certainly useful between, uh, you know, Wolverine yeah. and the hammer in midfield, we would, we would assert some control over that area of the pitch.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm running out of... Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. I mean, there I'm- is one called Vision. One of the, uh, that's got to be me, right? Yeah. He's the sort of colourful guy played by Paul Bettany. Okay. Um, I think we've, we've had a good go at that. We have. For people who don't know a lot about the Avengers... Exactly. I defy to say. We've not had a, a bloody good go at that. We- Who would Olivier Giroud be? Please, we must decide. <laughs> <laughs> he would be all the Avengers put together. He's so <laughs> magical and special. But he's he's
2: one of the dead ones now because he's gone to Chelsea. He's <laughs> dead to us. Okay. He is dead to us. Uh, just before we go, uh, we should talk about the maybe the Champions League draw, seeing as our... Um, oh, it's happened. It's happened. Wait and you get this. Okay, here it is.
1: Tell me. I don't know. You're telling me live.
2: Ajax versus Juventus.
1: Ooh, that's a lovely tie. Liverpool versus Porto. Ah, they're through. Okay. So this is the
2: quarterfinal, right? This is the quarterfinal. (laughs) Tottenham versus Manchester City.
1: Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. You like it more than you like Olivier Giroud, boy? (laughs) (laughs) No, not that much. Never that
2: much. Okay, and the final one, of course, is Barcelona versus
1: Manchester United. I like that as well. Yeah. Guys, if you will insist insist on being in the Champions League, you will pay the price when you have to play good teams. (laughs) I love the Europa League. the, The warm embrace of the Europa League glory rens and barte oh it's so comfy i could just nuzzle into it forever
2: <laughs> all right well look thank you uh, to everybody for listening in hope you enjoyed the show uh, we will have the uh, europa league draw over on Arsburg news uh, hopefully the podcast well actually the podcast will be well up by then so you'll know uh, all about it uh, we can discuss that in the arscast extra on monday when we have to do mm. this all again but without any Arsenal. so we'll get our thinking caps on maybe we can think of some other uh, very highly regarded comic book slash movie franchise that we know nothing about and we can massacre that too. I'll let you think about that. I look forward to it. Send in your questions, guys. (laughs) We'll be ready. All right, as ever, if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that will be very much appreciated as well. Have yourselves a great weekend. We'll catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.